Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, October 20th. We begin with renewed talks at City Hall into the event center deal. Could the project finally get the green light, and if so, at what cost to Calgary taxpayers? We discuss with Moshe Lander, economics professor from Concordia University. It's been an incredibly rough ride for local small businesses. As we move further away from the pandemic, what's the road ahead look like for small businesses in the city? We get the thoughts of Deborah Yedlin, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Then it's our regular segment to help you get your mind right. This time out on our mental health moment, mental health advocate Karen Gallagher-Burt offers up some coping tips to help navigate through a life crisis. And finally, she's at the top of the list of Canada's most powerful women. We speak with Milena Radkovic, who's been recognized for her work advancing women's entrepreneurship in Alberta and right across the country. We've brought on the icon. They've represented cities like Edmonton, San Diego, Anaheim, Dallas, Sacramento, and they have the best expertise to move forward on this project and lead it for the city. And they will start conversations with CSIC, they will have conversations with the city's event center team and council. That was councillor, city councillor Sonia Sharp, discussing the progress being made regarding talks on Calgary's event centre. Joining us to talk about what a good deal would look like for the city of Calgary is Moshe Lander, senior lecturer in economics at Concordia University and host of the Moshe Lander Show. Good morning, Moshe. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Well, boy, yes, uh, we're back at it. Looks like we're going to start from scratch and get back to the table and have some talks. Your thoughts about the event center, the deal, the arena deal. Uh, You know, is this a step backwards, do you think, or are we on the right path? Oh, for sure it's a step backward. Are are you as tired of the story as on now? Yeah. This has been going on for over seven years. Like, what do you mean we're going back to the starting point? Like, uh, the deal was done 10 months ago, so it, it's amazing that they're bringing in a third party to bridge what was a really small gap at the time. Yeah, it's funny how you put it in those terms, Moshe. There's a little bit of, well, for me, obviously in the media, we talk about this quite a bit, but at coffee shops, there is a certain amount of fatigue that happens, mm-hmm. I think, in around any discussion or negotiation. And I think that could be where we're at right now, just worn down and people just want a deal done, don't they? Yeah, and and the funny thing is, of course, that when the deal is done, we're still going to have to wait for shovels to go in the ground. Mm -hmm. We're still going to have to wait for the arena to be complete. We're still going to have to wait for the plans to move into the new arena. And we're not even sure what the quality of the team is going to be at that time, that right now they are looking promising. Uh, But in five years' time, when they move into the new arena, they could be on the downside, hopefully not. Uh, And at that point, then, do fans even want to go to the game in that sparkling new billion-dollar arena? What do you think, Moshe? What does a good deal look like for the city of Calgary and Calgarians? A good deal is as little public money going into it as possible, and that's what I've been saying now for over seven years (laughs) of this discussion. Uh, Public money does not uh, pay for itself. So, you know, if we as Calgarians want to put our tax dollars into the arena because we believe in it, hey, that's one thing. But if we want to put our tax dollars into this arena because we believe that somehow we're going to get our money back or we're going to get a return on our investment, we're not. And so I I think that that's one of the important things that is always missing from this discussion is what do we want to do with our tax dollars? We shouldn't be waiting for city council, the mayor's office, to be telling us how that money is going to be used. We need to be voicing very seriously uh, whether we want to uh, put this money in or not. And that's probably going to help the negotiations too because right now it it seems to be the starting point is like it's going to be a 50-50 split or something. Uh, But I don't really ever recall us being asked if that's what we wanted. 
Interesting point. To your point, we don't do it for the ROI, but can we look at other arenas, other sports cities that have done it right and had the best deal for, for everybody involved? Well, you know, Toronto and Montreal uh, maybe aren't exactly the comparable to, to Calgary, but they did it with no public funds. They, they funded their own arenas entirely by themselves. Uh, they being the, the owners of the sports franchises out there. Um, Edmonton, of course, is the one that we in Calgary look at, and it, it's the deal that I think that we want. We're, uh, you know, we're saying that we want everything that has happened in downtown Edmonton. But I, I think the thing to keep in mind is that when we look at that sort of comparable, uh, downtown Edmonton was already undergoing a transformation that when the arena was dropped into it, it just accelerated that transformation. But it wasn't the arena itself that did it. I think the way that we're being sold this new arena idea is that somehow the new arena is going to transform the East Village. That transformation has already been uh, underway for some years now. And so this is not going to uh, to be the uh, engine of that growth. And, and so I, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, too, is that when you, can, you know, make these comparisons between other cities, uh, what exactly are those other cities already going through by the time that the arena or stadium comes into play? And Moshe, I mean, we look at the, the, the cost of everything has, I mean, when the Flames organization pulled the plug, you know, just whatever, Jesus seems like 100 years ago, whenever it was, it, be, it seemed to be there was a lot of discussion about how expensive everything had gotten and add-ons, et cetera. Well, it's 10 times more expensive now, I would think. So it, did they put themselves in a bad place by pulling the plug back then? Yes. And, you know, again, the, you know, I, I know I've been talking about this for over seven years now. And back then the number was, let's say, in the low 400 millions. Oh, for those days, uh, I can easily see that by the time that this thing is done, given the current rate of inflation and where we sit, uh, you know, economically, this thing's going to be close to a billion dollars by the time that, uh, you know, we have opening night. And so uh, the, the fact that they keep dragging their feet here for whatever, uh, you know, piddly reasons, uh, keep this from shovels getting into the ground. Uh, the cost is going to come in way over the original numbers. And I think that anybody who's ever gone through a home repair understands <laughs> that, you know, the original quote is never the final bill. And, and I think that we're really going to end up paying for it uh, in all senses. And when you say paying for it, Moshe, it, it's uh, down the road, but the expenditures and the, the costs don't end when the building is up. And I'm, I'm looking at a meme here that I sent Sue last week that was, you know, making the rounds on social media about one of the food combos in the Ice District, the new arena in Edmonton. The combo is for two cheeseburgers, two bags of chips, and two pops for $55. And the argument yeah. is online that that is to help pay for the new Ice District in the arena. So technically, we, if we follow that, we can expect probably the same in five, seven years. Oh, yeah. And, and that's part of the, the problem, too, with the new arenas that, you know, people in Calgary are, are probably realizing that they're going to be priced out of that new arena by the time that it opens. Right. And so our, you know, public tax dollars are being used for something that we're probably not going to have uh, easy access to. And even if we somehow manage to uh, you know, get our hands on a couple of tickets, uh, yeah, once you go inside, uh, the way that arenas have changed is I know here in Montreal, the rare time that I have to go to a half game, uh, I find it easier to get onto an airplane than to get into the arena, right? The way that they patch you down uh, and make you go through security, it's not to make sure that the arena is safe. It's, it's really to make sure you're bringing in no outside food and drink because once they get you inside, they've got you. And that's exactly, you know, monopolist behavior that they can charge those outrageous prices. I would point out, though, that the only reason that they're able to even justify $55 in Edmonton for that type of stuff is because the team at least looks semi-decent. 
Um, if the team stunk, there's just no way that they could charge you $50 because nobody would want to go in there in the first place and watch that team. Uh, so it's because they have two very exciting players on the front line uh, that, that makes it uh, possible to charge those prices. Calgary then has to make sure that they keep their core together. And, yeah, they could be doing the same thing in five years. Let's hope they have water fountains. <laughs> well, we're going to be able to afford to drink. Well, it's it's going to be interesting as we get the talks underway yet again. Hopefully it's not another seven years, but we'll talk to you through the process again. Thanks so much for your perspective, Moshe. Anytime. Thank you, Moshe Lander, economics professor at Concordia University. It is Small Business Week. How has Calgary's small business community managed to survive the pandemic and navigate all the economic uncertainty out there? Joining us to look in, check in, paint challenges facing Calgary's small business community these days is Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's talk about the outlook for small and medium businesses in Calgary. Still positive? I mean, they really are the sort of the engine that drives the city and the country, aren't they? They are. 98% of businesses in in Canada are small businesses, and 95% are uh, small businesses in Calgary. So a very, very important aspect of our economy, and that gives us resiliency and gives us breadth of uh, exposure into different sectors. You know, Deborah, we're, uh, you know, maskless for the most part, uh, pandemic for the most part behind us. But for small and medium sized businesses, I understand that's not exactly the case, the after effects. So can you tell us about the challenges they face moving ahead? The challenges they face are, you know, a couple of things. One is what we keep hearing from our, our businesses and from our members is, is the talent. Um, we hear constantly that people are looking for talent. They want to attract talent, retain talent. So this labor issue continues, and that's that's probably their number one um, uh, concern. The second one, of course, is affordability, broadly speaking. So input costs, whether you're looking at energy, whether you're looking at labor, whether you're looking at uh, what your potentially floating uh, interest rate is on a loan that you may have that supports your business, you know, inventory management, et cetera. I mean, those costs are, have been going up and that's, you know, people were really hoping that once the pandemic had been set aside and we were moving forward, that there wouldn't be any more bumps in the road, but certainly the, the rising cost environment is, is definitely presenting more challenges for businesses. Deborah, would you say there are any unique challenges for small businesses here in Calgary versus the rest of the country? You know, I wouldn't say that. I think small businesses, the thing about small businesses in Calgary is that we are so subject to the commodity price cycle and what that means for our local economy that we are, I would argue, more resilient than most uh, other provinces and other cities across the country because we've had to deal with this, you know, this sine wave of, of, um, of strong energy prices and then having to deal with the downturns as well. So, I would think that we've learned to weather this better than most. And, you know, for that reason, we're sort of looking at small businesses are 65% of small businesses are quite optimistic about what lies ahead, despite the challenges. Deborah, can you tell us about the unique situation when it comes to inflation and these businesses? Because I know from a household perspective, I have nothing to do with business myself. Um, I can choose not to buy a product. I can choose a different product to replace it. But if you're a business who needs specific items, it's got to be tough. So what are you hearing? Well, what we're hearing is, you know, it's all about cash management, cost containment, and how do you how do you weather the current um, uh, rising 
cost environment because there's a limited amount of ability to pass on those costs to your consumer, mm -hmm. whoever that consumer is, whether it's a residential, whether it's a retail customer, so to speak, or whether it's an industrial or, or a, a bigger business that you're a supplier to, you have a limited amount of ability to pay, pass on that cost. And that is a challenge because that means your profit margins are going to get squeezed. And geez, what a catch-22, isn't it, Deborah? With, I mean, businesses have to pass on the inflated costs they're paying now. They have to pass on some of that anyway to recoup their money. And yet that could potentially cost customers to that business, right? I mean, it, it's a tough yeah. go out there. Yeah, it is. And people are saying, well, I have to pay more for this. Why do I have to pay more for this? But the reality is cost structures are going up everywhere and there's only so much ability to pass on those costs because what we talk about from an economic standpoint is this cost push inflation and so if you pass on all of it then you just see this you're in this inflationary spiral and really that's what we want to avoid because that's not good for economic growth or certainty going forward. And I know that you need a super magical crystal ball to know exactly what the outlook is in the coming months and as we move into 2023 but what do you see representing your uh, the businesses? Well, what I think take, I take comfort from the Conference Board of Canada report that was released last week and talked about Calgary on the cusp of experiencing some stronger economic growth and certainly the province leading the country in economic growth. And that really is testament to a couple of things. One is the fact that energy prices are stronger. Uh, the fact that we are growing as a center that whose economy is diversifying in terms of clean tech, fintech, ag tech. You know, we're starting to see all those different uh, industries and sectors really start to be felt and uh, their presence felt in, in Calgary and, and the fact that we are seeing people coming back to the city. And so I think all those things bode well for our city going forward and the province. I think that we have what the world wants and uh, we just have to figure out how to get it to where it needs to, to, to go. So on balance, I think there's a level of optimism despite the challenges that are near term. Longer term, uh, Calgary's very well positioned uh, for the next 12 months. How does a chamber, like the Calgary Chamber, how, how do you prep businesses and business owners for you know, the rising interest rates and the mortgage rates and, and a possible recession that could potentially be upon us? Well, we are always available to our members. Uh, for advice and we also convene our members to help understand exactly what they're facing and so we have policy council roundtables where we invite people from all uh, areas of, of the Calgary economy for-profit not-for-profit small business bigger businesses and we discuss and help and understand what they need in order to be successful and then understand how we can support them whether it's through our efforts through the business through the chamber of commerce or whether it's something that we need to reflect to uh, to government as well at, at all levels deborah thanks for your time we appreciate it thank you for having me deborah yedlin president and ceo of the calgary chamber calgarychamber.com for more info It's time to check in for our mental health moment. Mental health advocate and social worker Karen Gallagher-Burt joins us to discuss the three big concerns people identify when they experience crisis. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning. <laughs> well, let's talk about it. How do we define a crisis? Because to me, it might just be having a bad day. But really, what, what is a crisis in your mind? Actually, I like that you said that it might just be a bad day because that really what it is what it is. 
A crisis is often about, it's when things that you normally have happen to you, something extraordinary or slightly off even can happen, and your usual coping mechanisms don't work. And you are not finding the solutions, whether it's do a walk, do something like that, talk to someone, they're not around. And so you're out of your comfort. You're, you're, not, you're not doing well. So reaching out for help is always the best spot there. Now, it is a mental health moment that we're having here. So, you know, trying to get a little help to, to better people, better prepare people should, you know, something pop up. And maybe, is it worse, I guess, when you have a crisis, big, small, whatever it is, when you're already having issues? I mean, a lot of people are suffering suffering through a lot of stuff right now. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that those of us who have kind of um, even high coping ability and you feel like you're super resilient, there's so many things that come up for people that can throw you right off your equilibrium. Um, I was just mentioning I had had a death in my family last week and and honestly, all the things in my life function really well right now, but when one of those bigger events happens, it can put you off every single area of your life, your relationships, your work, um, your school, if you're going to school, everything can go sideways. But at what point, Karen, do we think, okay, I'm not just going to try to you know, walk it off or, or talking to friends or family doesn't help. At what point do I know I need to see a professional uh, within a crisis? You bet. So I, I think that um, when you need to see a professional is when it, it's lasting more than uh, a day or two, when you're really experiencing maybe it's um, inability to go to work or something that's out of the ordinary for you and you just can't move it forward. That's when I think you need to talk to someone. And you can start easy, um, the crisis line here in Calgary. And I even don't like the word crisis in that context. It's a helpline, 266-HELP, where there's a human being 24-7. And I think that's one of the things that always helps is connection. Because crisis often happens in the middle of the night. It doesn't happen between 9 and 5. Yeah. Um, you need that place after hours. And that's why the crisis helplines are fantastic. So when you when you say three big concerns that people identify when there is some sort of a crisis, what do you mean by that? Do you know, I think that what often happens is is that um, when when people are assessing things that are going on, the three things that kind of happen are you get out of sync with how you're supposed to live your life. Like whatever is your norm, all of a sudden goes sideways. When you're noticing one or two of those things, that's a big red flag. Um, secondly, when you either feel you're withdrawing. Or you're almost telling too much, and I think it can go either way, um, that you're almost reaching out to anyone to talk or to connect with. And then the, the third one for me is that um, internally there's something that, and this is where we don't pay attention, something within you that just doesn't feel like it's right. Um, we're very well trained not to appreciate what our guts say, and our, and our guts manifest differently for everyone. Mm-hmm. When you start to see those things, um, it's time to check in. I always say start with your doctor. Um, and we all know, though, it's hard to get in these days. Um, you know, it takes months sometimes to see your own family doctor. Um, talk, with, talk with a nurse at, at, at uh, 811. You know, give them a call and check in if it feels like something physical. Um, and then, you know, check in with a dear friend or a partner or someone close to you and just say, hey, have you noticed anything? Because we tend to deny what we're feeling we're very good at that here in canada <laughs> yeah there's some, some great points we have to leave it there for time thanks so much karen cheers you guys have an awesome day you too that is karen gallagher burt mental health advocate and social worker 
it is Small Business Week, and a local Calgarian entrepreneur has been crowned Canada's most powerful women, the, the head, the lead in Canada's most powerful women, the top 100 winner for her work advancing women's entrepreneurship in Alberta and right across the country. Joining us to talk about her work is Milena Radkovich, who is a local business owner and the Canadian ambassador for Women's Entrepreneurship Day organization. Hi, Milena. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about what you do and how you ended up getting recognized. Oh, sure. Um, So I have been a proponent of helping and advancing women in leadership from a very uh, uh, early age, being an immigrant and going through a variety of different biases and through in my my, uh, career. And then as an entrepreneur, I feel it's extremely important that we support, we educate and advance the next generation of female entrepreneurs and that's what we do is all about. We are here to support and we give scholarships. We have a big goal to give out a million dollars worth of scholarships to aspiring female entrepreneurs, but we need the national partners, the corporations to help us fund it because we are all 100% volunteer based. The board is, all the committee leads and all we want to do is, is create an awareness for women entrepreneurs. We've got a great summit coming up on November 17th uh, in Alberta, and then we have one in, in Manitoba and Ontario. And we really want to showcase some amazing women entrepreneurs and ga- have them guide the next generation with this educational summit. And hopefully we'll get some great sponsorships so we can give out more and more of these scholarships. You and your organization doing what you can to move this goal forward, to change things up. So I wonder if you can talk uh, broad strokes for us here as far as the importance for the economy as a whole to promote and support women-owned companies. Why is that important? Oh, for sure. So in Canada, we're quite lucky in the sense there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is over the last two years, since I got appointed in 2019, we have increased um, businesses that are majority owned by women by 2% every year, which I know it, it doesn't sound, but I mean, I always believe in baby steps. So there's about 17.5% privately owned uh, women-owned businesses in Canada. And this is about, this is from Stats Can. However, the, the real gap that we're seeing right now is that study shows that if we advance this gender inequality and help and promote women businesses in the economy, it would bring $150 billion into the GDP in Canada. Like that's a large amount of numbers and we've got to keep doing that because one of the things that has been also exposed uh, is uh, PayPal Canada. They did a study and they exposed that there's a 58% revenue gap between women entrepreneurs that are earning less than their male peers. So we really, this is why it's so important to help and support women entrepreneurs and the next generation Mm -hmm. because it can bring $150 billion to Canada. Like it's just statistics show it. We need to do this more. Super important. I know you have uh, the Alberta Women's Entrepreneurship Day event taking place in Calgary, November 17th. We're going to point people to the website, Women's Day. Is it womensday.org? No, no, it's we do Canada, W-E-D-O Canada dot C-A. We do Canada. We do Canada dot C-A. 
Gotcha. Excellent. Thank you so much, Melina. I appreciate your time and congratulations on the win. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Melina Radkovic is the local business owner and the Canadian ambassador for Women's Entrepreneurship Day organization. Again, we do Canada.ca.